Hello and welcome to The Future History of Newburgh, a series of short stories about a peculiar town on a peculiar planet where science and magic mingle in an effort to save the worlds. In the last episode, we met departed spirit Darren Gorski's wife, Dr. Annie Gorski, who believed she was going insane. In this episode, we actually do descend into a little bit of madness. Please enjoy Season 3, Episode 3, What Dies Beneath. Newburgh's underground was, as the name suggested, underground. Some of it spilled out into the areas under the boardwalks along the coast, but generally, the underground coursed beneath the city through the water drainage systems. Above the cobblestones, the city was conceived as three separate boroughs, Old Town, Midtown, and Lower Newburgh. Chief Pearson considered the underground as Newburgh's fourth borough. Down here in the complex labyrinth of tunnels, you could find almost anything, from legitimate goods and products to upscale dining and exclusive clubs frequented by sun-dwelling citizens from all walks of life. Among the completely legal businesses, you could also find illegal spells, burgled lab equipment, and stolen patents. That is, if you knew where to look. Easier to find were the forgotten of Newburgh, those who had sold their bodies for experimentation that could never be undone. These poor souls found safety and security in the dark shadows of the underground. Here, they didn't draw stares from frightened children. Here, they had a community of their own. Chief Pearson wandered the damp tunnels to find one such forgotten soul. This person used to be a bold figure someone Pearson bumped into frequently in his line of work. Lately, however, he hadn't made so much as a blip on the radar. This made Pearson nervous, especially in light of his recent discoveries. If anyone knew anything about a bomb threatening Newburgh, it would be this guy. Pearson chose to forego his regular outfit of jeans, polo shirt, and police badge, and opted for ripped cargo pants, a must-gray overcoat, and an oversized beanie. It had been years since he had been in the underground, and he hoped the people wouldn't recognize him as the chief of police anymore. He felt less conspicuous than normal as he stalked through the shallow puddles and weaved in and out of the crowded market tunnels. The Forgotten had certainly formed a community of their own, flourished and multiplied. Lively flute music danced through the air, a tumbling act in the center of a large market area dissolved into a fight among the performers. This drew an impromptu call for bets. The tunnelers pinned flyers promoting an expansion of the tunnels in the upcoming underground elections. Pearson thought that was fitting, since digging tunnels was their greatest talent and source of income. He mused that all of the tunnelers he'd ever seen had been remarkably short Perhaps there weren't only fairies and a dragon in Newburgh, but also dwarves. He wondered what else he didn't know about in the underground. The gypsies had set up their roving camp here for the time being, selling their so-called fairy godmother clocks. 
It was claimed the clock slowed down time on special romantic evenings. He evaded more hawkers with grotesque faces pushing their found wares and dodged creatures with wings, both feathered and leathery, as they zipped through the air. One such creature with horn-like ears and a tiny pinstripe suit lighted on his shoulder and asked in a squeaky voice, You look like the kind of guy who can use a new wardrobe. We got a magical boutique up ahead. Curated sage threads guaranteed to get you the ladies. Beat it, Pearson muttered and nudged the little wallet vampire off his shoulder. A flash of the familiar amidst the odd hodgepodge caught his eye. A golden hair bun with a stylus stuck into it. The twist of hair protruded from the top of a flouncy green hat with a hole in it. Amelia Levin wore a lengthy purple cloak and a yellow shirt with ruffles down the front. Her strange outfit was meant to fit into the tumult of colors and textures. Pearson would never have noticed her except for her distinctive hair bun. I'm beginning to wonder if all Jackie Thurgood's stories about you ruining investigations are true, he said to her, approaching from behind. Amelia spun to face him, eyes wide, but she quickly regained composure. Well, I don't see Jackie, which means she's working on a case that I'm clearly not butting in on. No, you're butting into mine. Or are you here to pick up dinner? He asked, eyeing a monstrous skillet of spice-covered beetles that a sweaty woman was tossing over an open flame. Amelia grimaced and then looked up and to the left, a clear marker of someone constructing a story to cover up the truth. He shut down her inner gear works when he peered at her tablet screen. A picture of a very notable face was on it. It appears that we're here looking for the same person. Now why would you be looking for him? Amelia sighed, knowing the jig was up. Fine, yes, I'm looking for the shrew. I know about the ball. She said the latter under her breath. How did you find out about that, and how did you get a hold of his record? Pearson asked. I have my sources, she said defensively. We all have the right to look for the truth. Your sources better not be any of my officers, or there's going to be an internal problem, Pearson muttered to himself. They aren't. Look, I'm a friend of Zan's, who's a friend of Annie Gorski. Zan told me what they had found on Darren's comm ring. When I got home, I had an anonymous message with the shrew's file in it. So I came here. There's nothing illegal with me reporting the news, especially something this dire to the people of Newburgh. It may not be illegal, but that doesn't mean it's right, he said. How is it wrong to inform people there may be a dangerous explosive in the city? She asked, incredulous. A few bug eyes turned their attention toward them. Keep your voice down, he said, and directed her to a quieter hollow with glowing amethyst and citrine protruding from the ceiling. It's wrong if that information causes panic and prevents us from finding out where the bomb is before it goes off. You feel me? The reporter pursed her lips in defiance, but eventually looked away and nodded. In the end, he decided to let her accompany him on his search for the shrew, so he would know the information she was getting for her eventual article was accurate. And you agreed to give me an exclusive interview for my story if I hold off on printing the article until the investigation is complete. She held out her hand, expectantly. After some hesitation, Pearson took it and shook. It's a deal. 
So did you get any leads on where our guy is? He asked as they started toward the market again. Not yet. Most people clam up when I show them the picture. A woman with eyes like a chameleon darted her tongue out when Amelia stared too hard. Her forked tongue nabbed Amelia's green hat, and the reporter clutched at the air trying to get it back. Hey! She called out, indignant, but Pearson redirected her onward. We're in their world now. People protect their own down here. They won't be so open to outsiders looking for a person in a photograph. The shrew specializes in finding things, specific, hard-to-find components often sought out when finishing a project in Lower Newburg. If you want to get an edge on your competition, he's the guy you go to to steal from another lab and get it into yours without dirtying your hands. We're not going to find him in this area of the market, he said, waving his hand through incense smoke and pushing past a gypsy man who practically shoved a sample of some kind of glitter cube into his mouth. Let's move on toward mechanics. I'm surprised you're here, Pearson. I've never seen you around when I'm down here. Not that I've been down here a whole lot. I just figured you'd have someone else doing the actual investigating, Amelia said, pulling the collar of her cloak up. This isn't your average case. I have other officers around doing investigations, but I can't just sit around filing reports. I need to be hands-on with this one. This could be detrimental to the whole planet. He said as they made their way toward market stalls carrying wares of a more industrial nature. While the area was less colorful, it was no less lively. Music still filled the air with several groups playing at once, their discordant instruments cobbled together from pieces of broken hover cars and other bits of refuse. They moved to a stall where a thin man with a curled pencil mustache was selling metal spheres. The guy looked like a hipster version of a villain in a children's fairy tale. The spheres, however, looked like nothing special. Still, Pearson got the sense that he shouldn't touch them. You two looking for a Chernobyl? The seller asked. Actually, we're looking for someone who can find us something in particular. You ever heard of a laser key? Pearson asked, making up an object on the spot that the seller would never be able to provide. I can get you one of those. Cheaper than most, too. Five hundred units, the guy said. I can tell you don't know what you're talking about. And I know the shrew would. Know where I can find him? I don't know anyone by that name, the seller said, zipping up his hoodie. We'll keep looking, then, Pearson said, and walked with Amelia into darker and more sparsely populated tunnels. How are we ever going to find him out here? Amelia asked her frustration beginning to show. A voice behind them echoed in the tunnel. I heard there were some people around looking to buy a laser key. Pearson recognized the shrew's weaselly voice, and both he and Amelia stopped walking. Now I don't know what that is, which means you don't know either. I suggest you two keep your snooping above the ground, or you'll get yourselves hurt. Is that a threat? Pearson asked, turning toward the voice. He was greeted by a face he could never get used to. Beady black eyes and a shriveled snout, large rodent-like buck teeth, one chipped at an angle. The shrew's whiskers went stiff in alarm, then fell as the rest of his face drooped upon recognition. Pearson, he muttered, screwing up his wrinkly snout in disgust. I should have known it was the cops. And why is that? 
Have you been up to something the cops would be interested in? No, he said defensively. Sergeant Marcus and that pig detective are always poking around down here. Thurgood may look the part, but she'll never be one of us. Jackie can blend in when she wants. You'd never know if she was right behind you, getting all the information she needs, Amelia said knowingly. The shrew gave a nervous glance over his shoulder, but found no one there. He huffed a laugh. You're that reporter, aren't you? People like you threaten the delicate balance of our society, just like the cops. We don't take to that kindly. We're just here to talk. We figure you might know what's going on, Pearson said, knowing Amelia's bluff of overconfidence was at its end. Why would I give you anything, Pearson? You guys used to lock me up for funsies. You can talk to us, or I can bring you in for replacing Dr. Hubner's capacitors with spark plugs. Yeah, I know that was you. The shrew tutted and chattered his teeth together. Come out of the way here. I don't want anyone to see me talking with you. The three walked around a bend, entering another, even darker tunnel. Pearson provided some light, opening his calm ring to the schematics Dr. Gorski found. The shrew's eyes went wide. Look, I don't know anything about this. Oh, really? What about your friends? This looks like the kind of thing they'd be into, Pearson said. I left the activators almost a decade ago. I don't even know if they're still together. A soft gasp came from Amelia. You were a part of the activators? I wish I had been reporting then. Activists always make the best headlines. Pearson rolled his eyes at her and hoped she could see them in the dim light. It has been quiet. Your friends haven't been gluing themselves to any li-fi towers lately. Why is that? He asked. Man, they got weird. We wanted real change from Newburgh. At least I did. No more of these pointless experiments risking the planet and the lives of innocents just for a cut from the big cheese. Newburgh used to be about discovery, about making the world's better places. Now it's just proving ground for egos and a money grab for sages and scientists. The rest of us get left in the dust. Spare me the hippie diatribe. What happened to the activators? We know where Sheila and Mackie Jackson are. They're good. They're not making bombs in their backyard. But there was more to your group, wasn't there? You guys were just the pieces on the chessboard. Who was planning the moves? I don't know. Like I say, I wanted real change, but they just wanted to tear everything down. They had nothing else to put in its place. It's like they just wanted to see Newburgh burn. So I got out of there. I don't know what happened to the rest of them. I don't even know who everyone was. Like you said, I was a grunt. I didn't plan the stuff. Pearson swiped his finger across the projected screen to reveal an arrest warrant with the shrew's picture on it. The shrew got panicky. Look, I don't know who was in charge, okay? I'll give you some other names who might know something, but these names didn't come from me, did they? Of course not, Pearson said, shutting down his comm ring screen. Amelia opened her digital notebook and removed the stylus from her hair, prepared to write. The shrew looked disgusted with himself, but he spilled anyway. There's Bertie Goon and Sticky Vicky. Rumor had it there was also someone from the higher-ups in the PD. For all I know, it's you dragging me back into this and setting me up, Pearson. We also need a list of what you've sold in the last three months and to who. I think you mean to whom? The shrew corrected, shifting his gaze to Amelia for confirmation. 
Amelia nodded. Pearson clenched his jaw. That's not the kind of information I keep written down, Chief. As long as I get paid, then I don't remember anyone I deal with. Pearson knew this must be true, at least in part. Why would a thief and a middleman jot down who he transacted with? Those kind of records could get people in trouble. Anyone not pay up recently? The shrew screwed up his face, calculating whether it was worth squealing any more to the cops, just to cause one of his outstanding clients some grief. Pearson crossed his arms over his chest impatiently. The shrew chattered his teeth in annoyance. Couple of weeks ago, I sold this stuff to one guy from Upside. Hard to get this stuff. Dangerous. Had to go through some unusual channels. Pearson narrowed his eyes at him, wondering just how underground these unusual channels were. Good for making explosives. Pearson heard Amelia's digital pen working overtime. The guy said he was good for it, but like a chump I gave him the goods with just a promise of payment. Haven't seen one glowing credit. I've seen him down here a lot lately, around the hub club. I was just about to go there now and, uh, remind him of his obligation. But since I don't want to be seen wherever you are, he'll get a pass for another day. Who is it? Amelia asked, stylus hovering over her pad. Balthazar or Bathillard or something. The alchemist. alchemist. Pearson and Amelia said in unison. Bringing the alchemist in for questioning proved fruitless, but Pearson couldn't say he didn't get any satisfaction from it. An opportunity to knock the red-robed sage from his hover pedestal was welcome. Watching him stutter under the hot lights was also rewarding. But Pearson could spot a liar, and he believed the man when he said the marconium the shrew provided him could be harnessed for a number of uses. In Athelard's case, he was using it to build a new charging station for his solo hover. It's all perfectly legal, the man stated as he stood. He brushed the front of his robes off, as if he were trying to remove unseen police station filth from them. I don't see why you're wasting your time detaining me, when you should be out policing the streets more. If you'd been doing your jobs, perhaps common thieves wouldn't feel bold enough to steal the excess marconium from my garage. Why didn't you report this before? Pearson asked. Well, it was excess. I didn't need it anymore, and they saved me a trip to the recycling center. I'll admit to being riled about it for a moment. Athelard inhaled indignantly. I don't trust those new neighbors of mine. Neighbors? On Hickory Street? Yes, Athelard drawled. They moved into Dr. Bentley's old place, apparently. I have yet to meet them, but I see lights on occasionally. The exterior of the house at 1821 Hickory Street could be described as an average split-level suburban home built into the base of a hill. The interior should have been vacant, according to Newberg's housing records, and it was, technically. It was absent of people and furniture, but full of the awful stench of decay. Records showed that Dr. Bentley had been authorized to build a lab on his home site. Its setting against a rocky hill was ideal for keeping his lab quiet and away from the more populated areas of Newburgh. The lots in the neighborhood were large and spaced far apart. It wasn't surprising the neighbors weren't well acquainted with one another. 
and it explained why no one had reported the smell. It wasn't hard for Pearson and his team to follow their noses downstairs to an open door in the basement. Beyond the doorway was a cavernous room, half of which was partitioned off by thick, bulletproof glass. Black scorch marks streaked the walls beyond the glass, as if multiple explosives had detonated within. The stench was concentrated there, and a glance through the glass sent one officer sprinting toward the bathroom with his hand over his mouth. Inside were scattered remnants of what used to be two or more beneficial insects. Pearson himself felt a little green around the gills at such a gruesome sight. The large humanoid insects were known to be impressionable. It was clear someone had lured them into the vacant lab, where they wound up being test subjects for the lethal measure of a bomb. Who would do this? Sergeant Marcus asked what they were all thinking. Someone who wants to destroy a big chunk of Newburgh, Pearson answered solemnly. But why? Marcus asked, dumbfounded. Pearson shook his head, unable to answer that question. One thing I do know, there's no hiding this anymore, he said, turning his comm ring to contact Amelia Levin. Newburgh will never be the same after this. That concludes Season 3, Episode 3, What Dies Beneath. I hope you liked it. If you did, please consider giving us a rating on Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Leaving a review and a rating really helps other people find the show. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that you can support the show by leaving a donation at the link below or purchasing my book. I have a full, complete trilogy out. And you can also buy some Future History of Newburgh merchandise also at the links below. And I'm completely grateful for every single cent. It helps pay the platform fees and, you know, helps me upgrade software, things like that. I hope you've had a wonderful day wherever you are, and I hope that listening to this show has brought you a little bit more joy. The Future History of Newburgh was written, narrated, and produced by R. Don Hutchinson. To find out more, you can visit rdonhutchinson.com. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening and helping the story unfold. A flash of the familiar amidst the... A flash of the familiar amidst the odd bleh. <laughs>